If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of John in chapter 9. Book of John, chapter 9. Um, if you're our guest here at Redeemer, we are working our way through John's gospel. We thought it would be appropriate to skip ahead last week and, and make sure that everybody knew he was alive. Um, seemed appropriate. He's still alive today, by the way, even though we're not celebrating Easter. Therefore, we keep going. And we are going to kind of go back to where we were and pick up in John chapter 9. So we're just working our way uh, straight through John's gospel. We've entitled our series here, Seeing Jesus, because John said in John chapter 20, he had written every single word of this book so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ and find life in his name. So this chapter is in the Bible. This chapter was written for us because John wanted us to believe that Jesus is the Christ and he wants us to believe in Jesus in such a way that we find life now and life everlasting in his name. Okay? So, Bible scholars, Christocentric linguistical interpreters of the scripture, I know that at the heart of every Bible passage is Jesus. I know that at the heart of every Bible passage is God showing us that we need salvation from him through his son. But I also believe that this passage wants us to see, yes, Jesus is the Christ. Yes, Jesus saves. Yes, Jesus is able to make the blind see and you can trust him. But if that were the only point that John wanted to make, this chapter could have been a lot shorter. We could have had verses 1 through 7 picked up in verse 35, and the chapter could have been a lot shorter, and Julie would have a lot more breath right now than she does. But I contend that verses 8 through 34 want us to learn something about the man who was healed and how he was questioned and what happened to him. So I contend that the main point of this passage, as is throughout John, Jesus is the Lord. He is able. He made a blind man see. That really happened. But I also contend that there are some things for us to learn about that blind man and about how he responded to Jesus and about how Jesus ministered to him. And it is important, I believe, for us to learn both lessons. So for my note-taking friends, the first point is see the man. The second point is see the Savior. See the man, see the Savior. If you're only going to listen for about 20 seconds, here it is. Jesus is the Lord of all. He is able to make the blind see. He is able to undo the consequences of sin. He is able to forgive your sin. And that's right, that only got one soft amen. Like, that's a big deal. Oh, man. Okay. We'll keep working on that. And there are some important lessons for us to learn as we walk through this passage about how this particular blind man responded. So let's see if we can learn those together. First point, see the man. So what I want us to do is I want us to walk through chapter 9 looking at what it tells us about this particular blind man, and then I want us to walk through chapter 9 looking at what it tells us about Jesus as the Savior. And we're going to try to do both before I run out of time. So we'll see how that goes. So we're going to start by walking through the man. And this man had quite a day. He started blind. He became a point of theological discussion. He was healed, 
He was sought out. He was interrogated, interrogated twice. He was expelled from the synagogue, and then he was redeemed by Jesus. So this man had quite a day. Blind, disgust, healed, interrogated twice, expelled, and redeemed. This particular day was a Sabbath day. It was a day in Jerusalem somewhere around the Feast of Tabernacles, which happened in chapter 7 and chapter 8. Um, the last story before chapter 9, the end of chapter 8, Jesus was teaching in Jerusalem and his followers had picked up stones to throw at him. So Jesus is winning friends and influencing people by the moment. And we come to this passage and we're told that on that particular day, Jesus and his disciples, verse 1, pass a blind man. Um, we're later told that this blind man was begging. So they're going to walk past a blind, lame, a blind, lame man who is begging on the side of the road. And the disciples look at Jesus. And, and when I read these words, this just reminds me of Redeemer Church. I love you. I am you. We together like to overly think about things. And so their question was, so, whose sin made him blind? I mean, do you see what's going on here? There's a blind man sitting on the side of the road who's a beggar, and the Savior of the world is walking with them, and they want to have a theological conversation about where, how sin causes illness. Does the irony settle on anybody besides me there? I, could just, I just feel myself in that story. I feel so many of us in this story. We love to think about things. We love to process data. We love to theologize and put the pieces together. And I love theology, and I love answers to real questions. And I think theology is where we meet Christ and where we find life. But at the end of the day, our theology is for people to meet Christ and be transformed by Him. And these guys are like, hey, Jesus, let's have a conversation about blindness and its origins. Now maybe I'm the only one in the room who's a little bit stung by that right there in verse 1. But the reality is Jesus tells his disciples, verse 2, 3, 4, and 5, look, God the Father sent me to do Work which shows that I am God and I am the Savior and I indeed do people good. Jesus is saying, I was sent to bear fruit and to testify to who I am and to draw people to myself so that the world will know. I didn't come so that we could have abstract conversations about the causes of everything going on in the world. So upon seeing the man, they say, hey, whose sin made this man blind? And so there was an assumption in the Jewish teaching of the day that the man was blind either because of his own sin in the womb, I'll leave that for you to contemplate, or because of the sin of his parents. Now, if you know anything about your parents, we should all be begging the question, why weren't we born blind? And if your parents are here today, I'm sorry if I've caused a fight for you over lunch. Just blame me. So Jesus' answer to them was, neither. Neither. 
You see, here's the thing. They were correct. So we're going to do the theologizing for a minute just because it's in here. They were correct to make a connection between sin, death, and illness. Because in the Bible, sin entered the world, death entered the world, and illness is a consequence of death. Illness shows us that our lives are passing away. And they were correct as they had walked with Jesus through the world, that Jesus often showed his power to forgive sin by overcoming illness and death. I mean, it's one thing to pop into town and say, I'm the Savior of the world, believe in me and your sins are forgiven. It's another thing altogether to look at a lame man, say, rise up and walk, and I forgive your sins. So they were correct to see that there had been a correlation in the ministry of Jesus between healing and declaring deliverance from sin. But they were incorrect to assume a one-to-one correlation between sin and illness. They were incorrect to say that if you have an illness, it's because of your sin. And far, far much more, if you don't have an illness, you must be sinless. Because here are some realities. This is where we live. Adolf Hitler did not die of cancer, but my mom did. And many of you are struggling with maladies that will not subside. And it's not because you need to repent. It's because we live in a fallen world. And yeah, I know we're still in the first two verses. This sermon just might have to go on till till midday. But I really think that's the question you all are answering. Let's talk about this for a minute. If not, I'm going to talk about it for a minute. few weeks ago in our sermon from John chapter 5, the title's Equal with God. I spent about 25 minutes wrestling with this question, and I would commend it to you. But Jesus tells them that the man was not blind because of his sin, and he was not blind because of his parents' sin, but he was blind for the same reason that everyone else is, so that God's glorious work could be displayed Through them. Now, in this particular instant, God's glorious work was that Jesus was going to heal him and he was going to be seen. But in other instances, God's glorious work in us is that he sustains us to believe in him and to trust him and to follow him through hardship. But either way, he is glorified. And... He shows through us that he is with us and that he is enough and that he is sufficient. So Jesus looks at his buddies, his followers, his disciples who wanted to theologize and wanted to say, listen, let's have a fun conversation about sin and debilitating illnesses. And Jesus says, look, I was sent and you are called with me to do the work of the Father as long as I am on earth. And so I'm about to do some work. And it's important, it's incumbent upon us to take from these verses that Jesus is instructing his disciples and would instruct us that people are not conversation topics. People are brothers and sisters created in the image of God who need help and they need compassion. Let's learn the lesson. Now, Jesus, we're told, after he kind of gives this point to his disciples, he bends over in the dirt 
and he starts playing around. Now remember, the last time Jesus bent over in the dirt and started playing around, he wrote something, and it made all of his critics flee. So I bet they were like, oh, he's going to solve our theological debate. He's going to start writing some stuff here. He's going to explain the problem of evil right here in his finger with his dirt. That's not in the Bible, but I think that's what they thought, okay? But what Jesus actually did is he spat in the dirt, and he made some mud, and he called the guy over. So just imagine this for a minute. You're blind. You can't see anything. You hear these people talking about you. And then the next thing you feel is... Jesus tells the man, he took the mud, he made it, he rubbed it on his eyes, and he sent the man and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Man, I read so many pages of ink this week about why he made mud and why the pool and why the significance of it. But really, here's what matters. The man came back and he could see. The man came back and he could see. Jesus healed the man. Now just for fun, what we do know is that by spitting and making mud, Jesus intentionally broke the accepted Jewish extra-biblical regulations of what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. That'll come back in a minute. And by sending him to the pool of Siloam, he sent him to the pool where just seven days earlier or so, he had stood and said, I am the living water. And so the man went to the living water and was healed by the living water. But what we need to know is that Jesus healed him. He was healed. He could see. The blind man could see. And for this, what does the man get? He's interrogated twice. His parents even get called in. So like, like students, you get called to the principal's office, that's bad. They call mama and daddy, like you are in trouble. Capital T-R-O, like you're in trouble. So this happened to an adult. So they call him, and they say, was first of all, the neighbors and the friends are like, is this the same guy? And he is running around, we're told, saying loudly, I am the man. I'm the man. Jesus healed me. I am the man. Who did it? Jesus did it. Now remember, I told you, there's some stuff for us to learn here. And one of the things we need to learn from this man is that if the Lord has worked in us, we need to own that and we need to give him the credit for what he has done. Jesus did it and I am the man. The Pharisees, they want to know how. Now, I just find that humorous. Maybe I'm the only person that chuckles when I read the Bible, but I find that humorous. This man was lame. He was blind. He had never seen. He was a beggar, most likely uneducated. They're the teachers of Israel. They believe he was, he was blind because of his sin. They believe he was born into sin. And they want to ask him why he can see. He says, look, there was some mud and some spit and a pool, and Jesus did it. And so... The Pharisees say, well, he must be lying. I bet he never was really blind. So they go get his parents, and, and his parents do a helpful thing and an unhelpful thing. 
The helpful thing is they say, yeah, he is our son, and yes, he was blind. The unhelpful thing is they, they chicken out. And they're like, well, look, he's a grown man. He can speak for himself. Because they knew that if they said Jesus was the Christ, they would be expelled from the synagogue. So the Pharisees go to the man. And this is in verse... It would help if I was in the right chapter of the Bible. And this is in verse 24. They go to the man again. And notice what they do. This time they give him the option of glorifying God or glorifying Jesus. And all you kids are like, wait, I thought they were the same. They are. But for these guys... They're not. And so they say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So man, who healed you? And the guy says, look, the blind man, the formerly blind man, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I love the simplicity of what this man presents to us today. Look, you can ask me all the questions that you want to ask me, and I'll just tell you, I don't know. But I can tell you that right now I see you, and yesterday I couldn't. I tell you that I'd never seen in my life, and yesterday I couldn't. Friends, I love answers. I love theology. I love explaining things. I love teaching things. I love making connections and pointing out dots. But what's incumbent upon us as the children of God is to know what the Lord has done and to know that that is enough. Really, the testimony that God's grace needs in our life is the fruit that we bear by His Spirit and us pointing back to Him. The man says, all I know is I was blind and now I see. Hey, Jacob, could we get some air-conditioned, brother? I know you're running sound and not air-conditioned, but you're the closest person to the uh, thing. And I see a lot of flushed red faces up here on the front row. That's at least worthy of some amens, right? Like... So they go on, and they say, well, but how did he do it? And I love what the man says. He says, are you interested because you want to be his disciples too? So think about what he said so far. I was blind, now I see. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. I don't know how he did it, but I can see. Do you want to be his disciples also? And then he goes a little bit further and begins to instruct them in theology. He says, look, my understanding of the Old Testament is that God doesn't listen to sinners. So, Jesus must not be a sinner because he did something that is inexplicable. So the man says, I'm the man. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. He must be a prophet. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Do you want to become his disciples also? Because God is clearly with him. And as simple as that sounds, 
it was enough for the man to be expelled from the synagogue. But before we get to that, just latch on to a few things. As I was reading this week, I came to, I am the man. I just felt compelled to just mark that in some way. I, I don't know how it happened, but I was blind and now I see the Lord has made a profound impact in my life. Do you want to become his disciples also? They, those words just became living words. Like, like this man, we're told he wasn't even converted yet. That's coming in a minute. But he's testifying to the power of Jesus. He's making sure that the world knows he's been changed by Jesus. And he's making sure that everybody knows Jesus did it. And that question, do you want to become his disciples also? To me, that just, it's just this little metaphor, this little image of what the Lord would want from us whom he has redeemed and saved and restored. That we could find the simplicity of following after Christ in the complexity of our world. And we could find this simplicity of testifying to the grace of Christ in the complexity of all the things that run through the scriptures. So let's go deep in theology. Let's go deep in reading. Let's go deep in thinking. Let's go deep in wondering. Let's go deep in talking about things because that's of all of value. But let's not lose the simplicity of this man. I know I'm the man. I know Jesus did it. I know God is with him. I know I can see. Do you want to become his disciples also? Let's not lose the simplicity of what flows out of this man's interrogation. So for this, the man is expelled from the synagogue. Now, if you study up on that, it can mean that he was expelled temporarily or he was expelled permanently. We don't know. But what we do know is that his being expelled from the synagogue is not the end of the story because Jesus comes and meets him again in his wondering. Now, can you imagine here the day this man's had? He was sitting blind begging. He heard the disciples discussing him. Jesus healed him. He was interrogated twice. Mama and daddy got drugged into it. And now he's been kicked out of the synagogue. And so he's back on the street corner wondering what just happened today. And we're told that into that, verse 35, Jesus heard that he had been cast out of the synagogue. Jesus came and found him. And Jesus speaks to him in such a way to reveal who he is and invite him into the family of God. Jesus goes to great lengths to ensure that this man is not just healed physically, but to ensure that he meets the Savior and is changed eternally. Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says with honesty, who is he? I'd like to. And so verse 37, Jesus says, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And the man we are told said, Lord, I believe. And he fell down and worshipped him. 
But we see Jesus coming to this man to ensure that he knows that the one who healed him is the Son of Man who came to redeem God's people. That he indeed is the hope of the world. And the man says, I believe. And he fell down and he worshipped him. Now, most of us were not born physically blind. Most of us did not, or none of us, I would think, met Jesus on a road in Jerusalem. If so, we should probably talk afterward. Because that'd be pretty crazy. Um, None of us um, were interrogated by the Sanhedrin and by the religious leaders of the Jews. None of us have been expelled from a synagogue. But yet, what I see in this man is a simple, the simplicity of following after Christ and being overwhelmed with the goodness of being healed and delivered and saved by him. So I can't help but think that the disciples on this day were overwhelmed at what had happened and overwhelmed at what had been done and were instructed by the devotion of this man to Jesus. And I don't think I'm reading too much into the Scripture to say that verses 8 through 34 were in the Bible for us to see the story, hear the story, and be shaped by the story. Now, we can't be shaped by the story unless we've met the Savior. Which leads to the second point that is much shorter. See the Savior. Indeed, the hero of the story is not the blind man. It's Jesus. The hero of the story is not the blind man for the way that he responded. It's Jesus who healed him. The desired outcome of the story is not to boldly proclaim Christ with simplicity and devotion, which is commendable, but the, the, the main point of the story is to meet the Son of Man, to believe in Him, and to be redeemed by Him. Because really, the actor in this story is Jesus. Verse 1, they are passing by the blind man. The disciples want to smoke pipes and have a philosophical conversation. But Jesus stops, stoops over in the mud, in the dirt, makes some mud, and heals him. Jesus initiated the story. It all started because Jesus intended to reveal his glory by healing this man and by redeeming this man. And then the story goes on because if Jesus just wanted to win points by digging at the Pharisees, he could have left the man expelled from the synagogue. But Jesus went back and found him. Jesus went back and sought him out. And Jesus intentionally questioned him and said, Do you know the Son of Man? I do not. I am he. I believe. And he worshiped him. You see, the initiator, the actor, the hero of the story is Jesus. And this story, except for the physical blindness, is not unlike any of our stories. God sought us. God worked in us. God pursued us. God opened our eyes. 
God revealed that he's the son, that Jesus is the son of God. God revealed that we needed salvation through him and him alone. And we believed and we worshiped, but Jesus is the hero and he gets the glory. And as easy as that is to say amen, we must celebrate that Jesus is the Savior and it's by His initiative that anyone ever believes. And so we glory and we praise the fact that God is honored, Jesus is glorified, and we are redeemed all at the same time. Because I bet earlier when I said to those of you stuck in habitual patterns of suffering, the answer is God has allowed you to be in that place so that his works would bring him glory. You thought, oh, that stings. I don't like that. But the reality of the scripture is God can be glorified and we can be blessed by him at the same time, in the same event and in the same moment. And so when God opened our eyes so that we would see and we would believe, he was glorified and we were delivered all at the same time. And that's a beautiful thing that we get to celebrate and we get to worship. Jesus is the hero because he sought the man. He met the man in his rejection. He met the man in his questions. He met the man in his difficulties and he ministered to him there. So friends, if you're here today and you're far, far less certain about the glory of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, maybe you even wonder if Jesus was real, you certainly wonder if he was divine, and you certainly wonder if these stories are true, what I commend to you today is that this Jesus will seek you where you are. You're here today because he's seeking you. You're here today because he wants to meet your doubts, your fears, your skepticism, and your question with himself. Not with our theologizing, not with our statement of faith, not with what I've been up here talking about, but with himself. And so if you see anything today, like this man, see that Jesus will reveal himself to you and plead for him to show himself to you. Now, friends, we could stop there. But I'm afraid that we focus on reading the Scripture through the lens of me, me, me so much that we never read through the lens of we. Jesus was building a people. He was building a church. And if we read this passage through the lens of we, What we see is that God will meet us together and seek us together and reveal himself to us together so that we will believe and we will be transformed and we will testify to his greatness. Let us pray earnestly for those in our midst who are struggling those in our midst who are broken, those in our midst who are hurting, those in our midst who would long for Jesus to minister to them as clearly and tangibly as he did this blind man, let us believe that he is earnest to show himself the glorious Lord in every one of those situations. And let us pray accordingly. And so not only should we see the scripture through the lens of me and we, but we should see it through a third lens, the lens of they. 
Because Jesus didn't just have us in view when he died on the cross. He had a people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every language. He had a people from every little nook and cranny of this suburb and all of Nashville and all parts of this country that we live in. Jesus is eager to see his ministry go deep and go far into the world. And I think we are so quick to just focus on us and how God meets our needs or doesn't meet our needs and how disappointed in him we are that we forget that Jesus redeemed us and revealed himself to us and saved us so that many others would experience what this blind man experienced on this day in Jerusalem. And so we should pray that the glory of the saving power of Jesus would be experienced by many in this community, in this neighborhood. I quote this number over and over because I don't believe we've been broken by it yet. There are 1,000 families within a one-mile radius of this building, and it would be the will of God that they would be met by Jesus and be forever changed, and he's going to use us to do it. He doesn't have to use us to do it, but he, his pattern in the New Testament is he uses us to do it. So let's not just read this passage through the lens of, that was good for the blind dude 2,000 years ago, and I met Jesus, praise the Lord. But let's also read it through the lens of, Jesus desires to do this over and over and over again. His work is not finished because he hasn't come back yet. So if there are 1,000 families within a one-mile radius of this building, If you don't know our story, a little over a year ago, we were given this building for free. Now, I don't do well at looking forward and saying the will of God in the future is, but I can look back and I can tell you something. It's the will of God that we would be right here, right now, today, because the price was right. In my Bob Barker voice that I don't have. And if it was the will of God for us to be here on this day, then it's the will of God that through us who have had our spiritual eyes open and have met the Savior and have been redeemed to go forward and be agents of His to see others see Him. This series is called Seeing Jesus. Yes, so you can see more of Jesus, but so others can see Him for the first time. And I just want us to break free from our own burdens. We have them. God is with us. He will never leave us. Our own psychoses, our own doubts, our own fears, our own self-absorption, and realize that often he ministers to all those things as we take the good news of what he's done to others. So our testimony of I am the man, Jesus did it, He's the prophet. He's the son of God. All I know is I was blind and now I see. He's the son of man and I believe and I worship him. That's not just for private worship. That's the fuel for living. That's the fuel for mission. And that's how we experience the glorious power of God in our lives. If this is going to go on the internet, there are certain words I can't say today. 
So we have friends with us today who want to see that happen in hard parts of the world. Is that vague enough? Okay, everybody know what I'm talking about here? Okay, I'll be more explicit when the recorder's turned off in just a minute. But we have friends here today that are doing that and they want us to help them. They want us to encourage them. They want us to pray for them. They want us to breathe life into them through the power of the Spirit so that they can go and do that. So we're going to meet them in just a minute. We're going to pray for them in just a minute. You're going to come back tonight at 5 o'clock and learn more about their ministry in just a minute. It is about them. We're glad you're here. But it's not really about them. It's about Jesus getting glory and Jesus desiring to use us for his glory. We're just jumping in. We're just jumping in. You might not be good at apologetics, but can you think, what, is two, what are two things that the Lord has done in your life since he opened your eyes? And how can you talk about those two things in such a way that you could say, look what the Lord has done. He is good. He is powerful. I worship him. And then you can just ask people, do you want to become his disciple also? I'm telling you, this chapter's in the Bible so that we would believe Jesus is the Lord. We would believe he's the hero. We would believe he's the Savior. But it's also in the Bible to help us understand what it looks like to follow after the Savior. Let's learn from it together. Our Father and our God, we pray that you would speak your word and power to us today. We pray that you would open our eyes and cause us to see and to follow after you and to bear much fruit for your glory. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus.